0: Welcome to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm Kurt. Joining me is Paul, and today our guest is Nathan Pateric. Did I say that correctly?
1: No, not at all. Peretic.
0: Peretic. All right. Yeah. I apologize. Joining us today is Nathan Peretic. Uh, and what's your what's your current business now, Nathan?
1: Uh, myself and a couple colleagues are focused exclusively on Cotton Bureau, which is sort of the the stepchild of our former businesses, uh, United pixel workers and full stop interactive.
0: All right. Well, actually, so that's interesting. Um, it puts us in a really an interesting spot because United pixel workers, um, was a Shopify store. So this is in part a postmortem, um, of a Shopify store. And it's kind of near and dear to my heart, uh, cause full stop interactive was a, a web design and development agency, um, that I looked up to that. I, I really like their work. Um, in years past. So how did that run us through? What's that? Uh, what's the story? What's that timeline?
1: Sure. Um, to be as brief as possible on the beginning of the timeline, uh, we had a little interactive studio uh, here in Pittsburgh. It was myself, Jay Finnelli. Um We worked with clients as a side project. We came up with the idea for selling t-shirts to web designers and web developers. Um, we're from a blue-collar town. So we <clears throat> centered the idea around uh, a fake union. Um, you know, United States Steel is was huge in Pittsburgh. Um, so we created a Pittsburgh shirt and a Philadelphia shirt and a standard issue shirt. Um, and over time, we added a lot of other localities: uh, Seattle, New York, places you know, bigger places: Chicago, Austin.
2: Uh, I, ha- uh, I uh, have the Chicago shirt, and it is one of my favorites. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Many people, when I wear it, people are like, "Wait." And they're it throws them for a loop for a moment.
1: Yeah, I mean it was a total labor of love uh, from the beginning for us. We started maybe six months after uh, we launched our studio, um, just to kill the time and try some techniques that didn't necessarily fit into our our typical client project, um, and you know maybe make some money down the road, um, which thankfully you know has worked out.
0: So at, at what point did you um, make the switch? Did you know to go – you went from full-time, from full stop to full-time with United Pixel Workers?
1: Uh, it took about four, maybe four and a half years um, and that was never the the plan. You know, The plan was just to keep doing this as a side project and – as it grew, you know, we could devote more resources to it. As our client business grew, we could, you know, hire more people, things like that. Um, circumstances just got to the point where we felt like the combination of United Pixel Workers and the the new uh, store Cotton Bureau um, had grown to a point where they were really at least equal to our client um, projects, and maybe we were just Burned out on working with clients, but we took, you know, we sort of took a risk um, to leave clients behind, publicly leave clients behind, uh, when we really could have still used the income from clients. So it took, I mean, it took four years of partial attention um, to get there. Hmm.
0: So what did you think? So do you think um, you were disadvantaging yourself by? Um, splitting up the time like did things just get easier or move much quicker um, when you went full-time into this
1: yeah um, I I'm sort of optimistic or confident about you know what we could pull off and I always thought we could do all the things at the same time you know we could work with clients we could run unite pixel workers we could launch cotton Bureau and make it a successful project um, What we found out after trying to do all the things ourselves is either we couldn't – we didn't have enough time in the week to give adequate attention to everything or we weren't making enough money from the things to maybe bring in some help. So for a while in 2013, I think, um, we tried to do all three things. We had all three things going at the exact same time and – as long as the client projects were coming in, we thought maybe we could find a way to just contract uh, with other people to help or, you know, bring in somebody part or full time locally. Um, We just kind of realized that, A, maybe we weren't client people, even though we loved our (laughs) clients and we had, you know, we we had 99% great clients from the day we started. That was something we wanted to change about the place that we used to work. Uh, We wanted to exclusively work with, with people that we enjoyed working with and who would allow us to make the best possible websites. Um, But I I, I think just at the end of the day, uh, it got tiring to, to continually have to explain and then to walk away, honestly, to walk away from projects that we really enjoyed building and knew could be better if we had time to, to, to improve them. And that's what pixel workers and now cotton Bureau allowed us to do is to iterate and refine and improve over a longer period of time.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of the, you know, the really the awful truth about freelancing is your worst case scenario is you get a nightmare client, like you have a client from hell. But your best case scenario, you know, is you've got someone um, and you, you know, you love them, you love what you're doing for them, but you're really, you know, you have no ownership, you have no agency on it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we always focused on leaving the client in a better place than where we found them. You know, a lot of education, a lot of conversations about why we did what we did. Um, and even when you did hand off to an internal team, um, it was at least not the way that we wanted, we would have done it had we been in their shoes. And we had one client retainer relationship that lasted maybe a year, um, where we could make improvements and and incorporate user feedback into the next round of, um, work. But the the budget for that kind of thing is rarely, you know, rarely present.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And especially, yeah, you're up against, you know, then you you get into weird situations where you say, well, you know, I really think it should be like this. We should have this feature would make it so much better, but they don't have the budget for it. And you have to Mm -hmm. say to yourself like, you know, do I do this for free because I would make (laughs) me feel good.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah.
2: We face that a lot in our Shopify stores where it's like, um, you know, the client asks, you know, the client asks us to do something that we personally privately think is asinine and not helpful. And then it's kind of like, well, wait, aren't we going to do the two or three things we think should be done? And it's like, well, I mentioned that and they didn't bite. So <laughs> no, we're not going to do, we're not going to do the things that actually help it because the client won't pay for it. So
1: yeah, I think sucks. that ultimately for us was the, the proverbial straw, uh, that broke, broke our backs. Um, our last client job was supposed to be, you know, a, a quarter of a million dollar job which for a, a very small company like ours would have been a comfortable you know year or two of income right. yeah uh, and we were the insiders for the job it was the job that we had originally left uh, our, our prior company to work on. We had maintained an excellent relationship with them for three years. we had maintained the site for them we had helped them basically write the RFP. Um, about what they needed and so we felt, were a shoo-in. absolutely. Yeah. And we loved our client contact and we felt after the experience that we would had over the past several years that we were prepared to build, you know, uh, the best possible higher ed site on the internet, you know, fully responsive. And, uh, you know, we liked the site that we built three years ago, but now we didn't have to go back and have the same discovery again and have the same conversations again. We could just start from the foundation that was already laid, you know, by us, right. um, And we, at the last minute, found out that they – someone new had entered the scene who we'd never talked to in the past, who wasn't there three years ago when we started the project. And he had the clout internally to direct the job to another company. And we thought to ourselves at that point, if if a client that we loved that had the budget to do a great website and that we knew we would enjoy working with could be just diverted from – Uh, You know, a a premier website by someone internally who probably didn't know the first thing about websites. We were really at the mercy uh, of a a frustrating uh, situation. So we we kind of just at that point, even though we had several um, several leads that we were following up, we we just announced the very next day. I mean, I, I I called Jay on the phone and let him know that our client kind of tearfully informed us our we lost that bid. Jeez. Um, and We talked for five minutes and said, well, plan B was go full time with t-shirts <laughs> and we, we implemented plan B overnight. I mean, it just, the next day um, we put up our announcement that we were done with clients. Yeah.
2: We, we had a, we had a similar thing happen to us. Not as obviously as painful as yours, but um, there was like a literary magazine that was based in Chicago and uh, I was linked to an article on their website and it was, Incredibly unreadable. Like the font was almost the exact same color as the background and a lot of other bad things. And because I'm a jerk, I sent, I made a very snotty tweet at their account and then, but then backed it up with, if you want me to fix this, I'll fix it for free. Just let me fix this. Cause this is, <laughs> this is brutal. Mm-hmm. And the one of the women, like the woman who was like the editor of it, like emailed me and was like, thank you, please fix this because we don't know how and we lost our
1: Mm. our
2: web guy. And I was like, sure thing. And I logged in and I made a couple changes for them, was just like, you know, happy to help. And they were like, well, you know, we're going to do an entire redesign. Would you like to bid on that? And we're like, of course we would. So, I mean, we sat on the phone with them and we went through the whole thing. And it was really, I mean, I think we really killed every single meeting with them and the RFP and all that stuff. And then in the end, they were like, "Oh, by the way, uh, uh, you, we didn't pick you guys. We picked this. We picked this other team that uh, whose uh, our designer, who was a person that we never spoke to, uh, liked their designs more. So no,
0: they liked their process better.
2: They liked their process. Better? A
0: person we never spoke to said they liked the other person's process
2: better. Yeah. yeah. So no, I still yeah. remember that. Yeah. Remember. So it was just like, uh, okay, what else could we have done? Like, yeah,
0: no, <laughs> like, tell, you have those moments where you're like, you know, you have the the rug yanked out from under you so many times. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, what, why why are we doing this? Why are we these you know, these ano- guns for hire that get to... Yeah. Yeah.
2: Know. Another a similar thing happened to us this week. Uh, we have a client that we're pretty tight with that we rejiggered essentially every single product page on their store and completely redesigned and streamlined their product process. And they loved it. And they loved it and it was great. And then 48 hours later, we get an email saying, well, I changed it all back because I showed it to my family and my family thought it looked weird, and it's sort of just <laughs> mm-hmm. like, well, why the fu- why the it's fuck did you hire us? Good usability testing. Yeah, yeah. I showed it to three people. It was fine. Random people. I know, but it, it annoys me because I'm touchy. Yeah,
1: I mean, to be fair, a lot of our best friends in the industry are, you know, project managers and designers and and owners of of client um, services shops, and we don't have any uh, objection to that, you know, that type of work. We just decided to sort of exchange one set of problems for a completely different set of problems that we felt we were better suited at handling. Right, yeah. yeah. that makes sense, and that's All why
2: so. we have our and that's why we have our EtherCycle Labs projects that we do just to sort of be like, "Ha ha, we have no one to answer to but ourselves," and we <laughs> yeah. know it'll get done. Yeah, right.
0: those side projects. I mean,
2: you guys, you guys kind of live the dream in that you're like palette cleanser side project that you were in charge of you were able to go oh fuck it we're just doing this full time now and it yeah. paid off
1: yeah
0: well yeah and the grass is always greener so all right so united pixel workers how did you get um for most shopify stores you know they launch them uh they get everything pixel perfect get all their products in and they launch it to zero traffic yeah so how did you market your site how did you get the your first orders
1: all right. Well, I'll try to answer that in both the you know, so sort of the anecdotal. Here's what we did, and then maybe draw a lesson out of that from you know how we advise others to. You can't do the exact same thing, but how does right. it apply to your situation? So when we launched full stop in in uh, the summer of two thousand nine, nobody on the internet knew who I was or who Jay was. Um, I, Twitter was nascent. At you know, sort of at best, (laughs) and it it didn't really extend into Pittsburgh. You know, there were people in Austin and San Francisco who used it regularly, but uh, we didn't really have colleagues uh, in the Pittsburgh area who used it. And when we started out, our goal for that company was to be the best you know client services design shop in Pittsburgh, and and thereby also be on the same level as the best you know in in the country. Um, And over the next six months. We, you know we wrote some things on the blog and um, we did some things. I think we maybe went to South by Southwest and we met some people but it, relative to the stars in our industry and even ourselves today, we didn't know anybody and nobody knew who we were. So when we started uh, United Pixel Workers, I think it was May 2010, um, we just started reaching out you know cold emailing people or tweeting at people saying things like um, specifically, we started with Philadelphia and then the next one was San Francisco and maybe Boston. And I reached out to anyone who I'd read something from on the internet that I really agreed with or had taught me something valuable who I hadn't previously had a way to sort of compensate you know, in any way. I just said to them, uh, appreciate everything you've done. Really enjoyed it. It's meant a lot to me. If I could send you a free t-shirt, I, I feel hmm. like that would be a way that I could give a little bit back to you for for the things that you've done for for me. And I think everybody said yes. I mean, who's going to say no to <laughs> to a free t-shirt, especially one that's sort of Especially is one that's cool and is, yeah. Yeah. it's yeah, very it's explicitly for them. Yeah. So that worked really well in, in terms of, you know, we didn't expect anything in return, but people's natural, you know, sort of reciprocity kicked in and we got a lot of really nice things, you know, tweeted um, and links to our site. And uh, I think we also got a feature on Big Cartel's website during that time, uh, like an interview with Big Cartel. And then hmm. uh, I wrote an article for Typekit. So there was an article about like how we built our site on Typekit. And so in our industry, we were effectively reaching our market by yeah. talking about what we did, you know?
0: Oh, that's uh, interesting.
1: Yeah, but you would think with all those incoming links, especially from people like you know Dan Cederholm or Jeffrey Zeldman or people who have right. huge Twitter followings, we would have
0: – And are been like the, the king of our yeah, industry. You
1: would think we would have been making some money. But our product was so niche and our – even our website was like not showing actual photos of T-shirts but like sort of like silhouettes of T-shirts almost hmm. and – I mean, maybe we sold 25 shirts a month, like maybe. So we, we had been buying, you know, 25 to 50 shirt runs in different sizes. And then we'd like sell out of men's large and, you know, have a bunch left over in other sizes. We'd pack them up, you know, label them with Microsoft Word or whatever and drive to the post office. And the whole thing was a lot of pain and a lot of annoyance for very little return aside from the, aside from the popularity that we got from being known as united pixel workers right so really the trigger for us to go from this is a side project that is more pain than it's worth to this is something that maybe is good enough in terms of money and and reputation that we want to keep doing it um was later that year we shut it down we took sort of a, a sabbatical for a couple of months and when we brought it back and when we shut it down we weren't even sure if we were going to bring it back but we thought about it and we stole two ideas or we created one idea and stole another idea I guess that changed it you know, into something that was sustainable for us. And The first one was um, guest designers. Okay. So we just reached out to a couple of friends that we had made and they agreed to design a shirt for us and then we basically leveraged their reputation to get the next you – know, the bigger fish in the food chain.
0: So you, you and, borrowed their audience and then kind of traded up the chain.
1: Yeah, so I mean, we did a shirt with Bobby McKenna, who was a, a star on Dribble, but not really. It was this is pre work that he'd done for Vine, and you know, pre having any sort of profile. Um, but he was friends with somebody, and we, you know, we talked to him, and he introduced us to the other person, and the other person introduced us to the next person, and before we knew it, we were working with Zeldman and Aaron Draplin and Jessica Hish, and people who are almost famous, even relative rock stars. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For us, it was. Um, I don't know if a dream come true. I'm not a designer, but I know for Jay, being able to be in a position to just have conversations with them about design was fantastic. Oh yeah. Um, so that was one. They brought us a, a big chunk of audience, but the thing that really did it for us, and the thing that powers Cotton Bureau today, was the pre-order model. Um, and you would think that people are so accustomed to getting things overnight from Amazon that asking them to wait two, three, four, five weeks four, five know, to get something is impossible. Um, but I guess when you're selling something that you can't get any other way, then there's some value in that that people are willing to wait for. So by doing the pre-orders, we could collect 100 orders at a time or 200 orders at a time and not have to worry about, do we have this in stock? We could just print the stock afterward in almost exact quantity so there's no waste and then – Send those out to people, and those two things combined pushed us from 25 shirts a month to 300 shirts a month, you know, 400 shirts a month to the point where we were making enough to pay the rent on our office.
2: So, the pre order model is not shirts on demand, it's you guys get a certain number of orders, and then you make you fire off a big run after you cross a certain threshold. Yeah, so you yeah.
0: And I, I hate to to bring up the the specter of social media, but that it does create social pressure because it's like, all right, you have to get a hundred orders. You want that shirt? You're going to tell your friends about that shirt.
2: Yeah, it's got a little bit of a it's got a little bit of a Kickstarter vibe to it, where it's sort of mm. like, you know, we need to cross a certain threshold in order for this to happen. So, right, if you want this thing, you better make sure it happens.
1: Yeah, we've always felt a little bit uncomfortable um, with setting arbitrary. Um, cutoff points so it, it's not really difficult there's no inherent risk in printing t-shirts so it's not the same as a Kickstarter where you really need the volume to justify you know the effort that goes into it so we've never set a number we just say there's a time limit and whether it's three days or four weeks the time limit is both we can't do this without it so you know it's not it's not like we're taking advantage of anyone we literally couldn't sell these shirts if we didn't Find a creative way of doing it, but at the same time, it does create urgency that helps us, you know, make this possible. So, if you know it's only going to be around for a week or two weeks, and it may never come back after that, there's a lot more incentive to go ahead and, and pull the trigger on it than you would otherwise.
0: Yeah, you're creating. Yeah, you're simultaneously creating um, a sense of urgency and exclusivity.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: and you know, and I think people will be people would be willing are willing to make that wait if it's a very specific product that they, they can only get right from this and it's very niche like i uh i bought a thing where um nick offerman was doing like a charity thing where he had five or six emoji that he would make like a fine nick offerman wood carving of that <laughs> emoji and one of which was the poop emoji so mm-hmm. i bought a nick offerman fine fine wooden carved poop emoji that I'm conversation still, piece. Yeah, that I'm still <laughs> that I'm just gonna put it in the bathroom and everything. It's gonna be my my soon-to-be wife's Valentine's Day present. And uh I'm still waiting for it. I think it was you know it was gonna be like maybe end of January, maybe beginning of February. We don't know. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't care, I want it. That's so
1: true. I'm willing to, yeah, wait. Just to just to talk for a second about the difference between our our situation and and the general situation. Um these things made sense for us to do because at the end of the day, if this thing went away, it, it wouldn't submer—you know—sabotage our existence as a company. It was a—it was a very much a side project at the time. So we're willing to take pretty big chances to see if we could—you know—reach oh, yeah. to
2: that. When you got nothing to lose, it's like, yeah. well, why not? Why not screw around with it big time?
1: Right, and then by reaching out to people doing the pre-order, doing the—you know—the guest uh, designer thing, there are obvious you know benefits to those people's audiences and things but what we've when we look back at the success of United Pix workers as opposed to other side projects that you've never heard of that didn't work out for us the difference really was that we understood the audience very clearly and we found a way to talk to them and to allow them to talk to each other and when you try to launch something and you either don't understand the audience or don't know how to enable that conversation to take place that's when it's extremely difficult to you know t- to profit from it,
0: right. So it's a. Did you? So did you think about what your target audience wanted before you made the shirts, or you just said these? This here's a cool idea for shirts. I wonder if anybody would be interested. You sort of backed into it.
1: I think the original idea was just this is something cool. It'll give us experience in retail. It'll let us show off our design chops. Um, but we felt like there was a market out there for it, and we happened to be part of the market so we understood the language you know, that we should use to talk to people. Um, we, we tried several other things that maybe we were less a part of that market. And I think the success stories that people see are often things like Basecamp where they were web designers and web developers and they understood the client relationship and what was broken about it and what needed to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And we get a little bit fixated on the intra-industry problem to be solved and what we're doing with Cotton Bureau now is understanding that the United Pixel Workers concept had a very fixed ceiling. You know, there're only so many people out there who do what we do who are willing to, you know, buy a t-shirt every year. Um, and it, it maybe would have been nice for two or three or four people to to keep going. But Cotton Bureau is t-shirts for everyone. Right, and And I'm I'm
0: looking through the Cotton Bureau designs, and I want like at least a fourth of them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they're still you know they're still graphic design, and some of them are about the industry, and you know some of them are technology driven or podcasts that were you know that um, everyone's heard of. Um, but at the same time, your brother could buy one or your sister could buy one or your mom could buy one or you could buy one for your dad for Father's Day or whatever. Yeah, uh, and in
0: some cases, like, they just work universally. Like, I see the bearded logo, which I know uh, is this, you know, is this great design shop, uh-huh. Um, but it just also works as a cool logo.
1: Right, and so the challenge for us now as opposed to before is we have to find a way to penetrate those audiences and have those people talk about what we do. And we're not retail people you know we're not fashion people and there are obvious directions that you can go in making the site more glamorous or running advertisements that we don't necessarily have the you know the budget to run and that's the real challenge for us you know going forward is how do we continue to spread the word and to you know spoiler alert all we're doing is trying to make a great product and hoping that the people who use our product are it enough to tell other people about it. Yeah, uh, but it, it's uh, it's hard
2: in the end. That's really the best you can do is to mm-hmm. make absolute to put in the most amount of effort and make the absolute best thing you can and then just cross your fingers.
0: Yeah, yeah like, there's sure. no
2: magic social bullshit pixie dust that you can force things to happen. I know
0: Everybody wants something
2: easy. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, what we used to tell our clients and what we try to tell ourselves regularly is you have to understand. You know, sort of what your story is. You know, wh- what is the narrative that you're giving to people? And f- we always advised our clients to make sure that the narrative that they were giving people accurately reflected their internal understanding of themselves. And so for us with Cotton Bureau, you know, we don't currently have any outside funding, it's completely self funded. And we're of a specific industry. We are, you know, a, a designer and a developer who. You know, spent the last five years working with clients. so our focus is on you know maybe our product at the expense of advertising or at the expense of some of the other retail things that maybe a different company could focus on. So if you check out you know our the blog on Cotton Bureau, we're very upfront about who we are and what we're trying to do, and we just sort of cross our fingers and hope that the people who do bother to go and read what we're doing and why we're doing it. Are going to really believe in it, and that'll give us a like a very firm core that we can always count on and rely on to you know to help us. Uh, but there's a the most recent post I think is called "Better Than Cheap,"
0: right? Yeah, uh, I see that right now. It's
1: the first one. Yeah, Than I think Cheap. it's. I, I mean, I come from an economics and political science background. You know, that's what my degree is in. Um, and I think that's. I, I don't want to say it re- should be required reading, but I think it'd be really helpful for someone who's trying to understand how to craft their narrative to, to know like, do, do I want to be, what do I want people to know about me that, that our shirts are the cheapest shirts that our you know, that our website is the easiest to use, that our selection is the most diverse, you know, you sort of have to come to grips with who you are and what you want to be known for. And for us, cheap t-shirts just isn't part of it. We, we're not interested in cheap t-shirts. So what people are buying, yeah, costs more money, but here are the things that you get in addition to a shirt.
0: And I see, yeah. And clearly an issue that's, that's close to you. Um, and really speaks to, um, the industry and getting more great guest designs. Cause that's, that's your bread mm-hmm. and butter. Yeah. Um, I see right here, the line, we don't exploit our designers. We pay them. We don't sell <laughs> cheap t-shirts. Right. So clearly that's going to engender, you know, even if I don't sell one of my designs in your store, I'm going to be willing to pay more having known that.
1: Yeah. And for us, like everyone else, you know, there's serious competition and it's, it's easy to get sort of blinders on where you see the people who do the exact same thing as you and, and think that you're fighting for the same dollars, but really you're fighting for people's attention. You know, there's a lot of things that they can give their attention to, whether it's, you know, a new startup that has a software product that they care for or the things that they have to do after work when they leave. You know, you're you're fighting for people's attention. You're fighting for their discretionary income when you're selling a product that they could just as easily spend going to a theme park or watching a movie or going to a restaurant. So, trying to keep the big picture in mind helps us maybe shrug off some of the these people are doing the exact same thing we are, and we got to beat them sort of mentality.
0: Right, that doesn't but work. It because... creeps in
1: though. It's it's hard to you know keep that you know to keep your focus where it needs to be.
0: The thing I tell people is – or that I tell clients is you're not – your competition is not your competition. Your competition is no one giving a shit. That's Mm -hmm. what you have to overcome.
1: Yeah.
2: Sometimes they get it. Sometimes they
0: don't. Yeah. Some people just, you know, you get – they have a white whale.
1: Yeah, well, you can can lead a horse to water. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. More cliches.
0: More in – in we case. speak
1: exclusively in metaphors, <laughs> in cotton beer. Jay and I are—we'll just—we'll just play tennis with metaphors.
2: Uh, so you bringing back that Sears Tower shirt? I really like that shirt. You're not getting—it's over. It's it. kind of stained. I need I a mean, new one. Everything he owns is
0: kind of stained. Shut up.
1: Every single. Sometimes
2: it has holes in it.
0: I actually—I've I've already every gone through, just requested a it. bunch of shirts <laughs> that are out of print.
1: I think every person we've talked to has said some form or another of. Have you considered selling PixelWorker stuff on Cotton Bureau? And of course, we considered it. We we thought about it a lot. We think about it still. But like we just talked about, the challenge is the attention, the infrastructure. Shopify was a great platform for us. It didn't do every single thing that we wanted to do. You know, otherwise, Cotton Bureau would be built on Shopify. But it's not. Right. We built it from scratch. Um, but the infrastructure is not the hard part. You know, and like to talk about Shopify at least a little bit. We used some plugins from the store. We had, you know, the most expensive plan, and it generally worked for us. But two thirds of the company are people who build websites for a living, so we had our own custom fulfillment software instead of using something like ShipStation. Um, you know, we built our own notification feature instead of relying on one of the, you know, half dozen that are probably in the store, um, and that worked for us because. Or web designers and web developers, right? Um, but you have to figure out what are the things that you are good at, and what are the things that you need to rely on somebody else for. And so we, you know, we had to move on from Shopify for the purposes of of Cotton Bureau. Um, but we still, you know, when we, the reason that United Pixel workers doesn't exist, at least in terms of having a store, you know, hopefully it still exists in people's hearts. <laughs> um, and who knows, maybe. Years from now, it'll come back in a different form. Like we still own it; it's still our thing. We didn't sell it. Um, but the reason we don't sell merchandise anymore is getting people to give you money is really hard. Giving people new reasons to, to stick around and hear what you have to say is really hard. I mean, looking at our numbers, we felt like it was just getting a little bit tired. And the last thing we wanted to do was sort of drag out the you know the end of United Pixel workers until people sort of resented our presence. We wanted to go out in a way that people were happy and had fond memories of us.
0: You wanted to go out like Seinfeld.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I think there are mixed feelings about how Seinfeld I- yeah, well, was. sorry.
2: that was tainted. Well, everyone wanted another season. Yeah. They would have paid for another season. No, it was the problem. Well, the, yeah, they wanted to go out. On, you, well, why do you work? have to question my metaphor? Because you're wrong. Oh, God. The United Pixel Workers wanted to go out on top, yeah. which I always think is overrated.
1: Well, I mean we want
2: more shit. Keep milking that pony. You just want your shirt. I do want my shirt.
1: (laughs) It wasn't killing us to keep it up. You know, maybe twenty percent of our time was going to it, but the opportunity cost to borrow another economics term, we felt like that twenty percent might have made more money for Pixel Workers today, but it it would make more money for Cotton Bureau in the long run. And I mean I, I kind of hope that we can bring it back someday and we can do more industry and community-driven things and not just sell T-shirts with it. But it's going to require Cotton Bureau to get to the point where Jay and I have enough free time or we have enough you know, extra capacity that we can review it. Um, for as far into the future as I can see, we have to put our full-time attention and sort of take on the identity of Cotton Bureau. I think a lot more people still know us today as United Pixel workers. Yeah. We need to get to the point where when we look in the mirror, we see Cotton Bureau and, and make sure that – because we've been doing this for five years and we still only have you know, three people who are owners of the company and a handful of part-time people who work with us. And we really would like to see what it looks like to have three, four, five times that many people because we know the idea is solid and that we can execute on it.
0: Yeah. So let's um, – so what are the – let's talk about some of the, the limitations of Shopify.
1: Okay um, so I I hope I'm not saying anything that has changed and I you know find out later that, uh, that Shopify can do that I didn't realize.
0: Well, so I mean I think Shopify it's a wonderful platform. It has an even better community um, mm-hmm. and great support. but it you know it is not Magento. it isn't right, right. Um, you know this big open source monster. So, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely has its limitations. Yeah. And I, I mean, think it's good to get to set people's expectations. So, no, I, I love to talk about those. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, limited.
1: speaking for myself, I probably have half a dozen friends who work at Shopify. You know, I've met people there at conferences, people I knew previously ended up working there. We got a chance to visit Shopify. Like, I like what they do as a company. I appreciate their ethics and their values. Um, I like their product. I, I It's grown and gotten better over the past you know, I think we started using it in January of 2012, and it's gotten better over that time. And they've filled some of the holes that existed um, that previously maybe the the app I don't know what they call it the app market or whatever um, filled. But there are still things that are you know missing. I think maybe recurring billing was a very recent addition. If it's if it's there now,
0: it is there um, now, and in the form of apps. And it honestly isn't very good. It feels yeah. like a kludgy hack.
1: I mean I don't I, – I really don't want to criticize them but the thing that always felt the most frustrating to us was the pace. And we knew that we were at the very, very extreme edge of usage of their software. I mean I had several contacts.
0: Yeah, you're definitely They're, an edge
1: case. Yeah, when we started using very high-resolution images, the API didn't even support – Fetching those images. so I think the the upper limit was either 1024 or 2048 I want to say it was only 1024 for some reason and we had to sort of file a ticket and go through a process of getting the images that we needed for I don't know maybe it was just like you know iPads at the time or iPhones, but eventually we knew it was coming to 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 MacBooks and things like that we we wanted high resolution images and that oh, was so something you're that we were trying had to
0: build to, retina support into a <laughs> theme. Yeah. like well ahead of the curve
1: right so they didn't even have a, like a keyword to reference that size image huh. you know and like the pngs would get recompressed and and changed from something that maybe had certain number of channels to a different number of channels or whatever you know whatever the situation was and like i i had conversations with them where they asked well, what what would you like and it's like well here are the things we like but if i was you i wouldn't build these things because that's not how you are going to make more money or make your core audience satisfied. We're an edge case, you know.
0: Yeah, the majority of people don't know what well, don't I mean, know the subtleties of image compression. But today's alone today's care.
2: edge case is tomorrow's standard. So one would hope that's that true, they, you and know, the you
0: know, you know the image thing he's talking about with the sizes. I mean, that's implemented. That's now. implemented
2: now, yeah. and I, you know, I ran across something last week that we had a customer that wanted an embedded uh, HTML5 video. And I learned that you can't uh upload and host MP four files to Shopify, yeah. so like we had to host it independently on yeah. our server. It just doesn't support and that. And then just link to it. Yeah, it doesn't support that mic yeah.
1: type. I mean the the things I mentioned were relatively minor and sort of fit into what they're doing. The bigger things were we need to control the code and the deployment process and things like that that just never are going to happen. I mean the yeah, best. Yeah, and a hosted do, solution
0: it could yeah. never be.
1: Right, that's anathema to their identity as a company. Right, Um, and again, love the people there. Think they have a fantastic product. Um, You know, would recommend them in a heartbeat. I don't know where Big Cartel is at these days. I never, we never used Magento to go back all the way to the beginning. We used Big Cartel because it was cheap and easy, and there wouldn't be United Pixel workers, or there wouldn't have been United Pixel workers, had there not been Big Cartel and then Shopify. Even though we could have tied those things together, I guess pre-Stripe, it was even more painful, but we could have tied those things together, but we were busy doing other things. We didn't want to tie those things together. Having a hosted solution, I mean, I don't know what we've paid Shopify over the past three years, maybe $3,500, $4,000, and it sounds like a lot, but I mean, we've probably grossed, I don't know, half a million or three quarters of a million dollars. So that's pennies for the... The effort that we didn't have to put in,
0: yeah, that makes sense no, all of that's it's absolutely true, okay, so you're gonna, you, you may need a moment to think about this one. The thing I like to leave people with um it's just one one universal tip for someone you know um opening a shopify store or jumping you know feet first into e commerce like what's one lesson that you you learned and would, would um give to our audience?
1: Sure. Uh, I'm going to cheat and I I think I'll give you the first two things I thought of. Um, One is shameless is the wrong word, but the internet is, is a wonderful thing and it doesn't automatically turn your voice into a megaphone if you don't open your mouth and you absolutely have to go to people and tell them what you've done or else they will never know that you exist.
0: So if you don't toot your own horn, no one will.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's up to you to figure out how to do that in the least objectionable way possible. I mean, I don't feel any better about it than anybody else does. So what I try to do, you know, I'm a pretty introverted person generally. And I, you know, I feel very comfortable emailing people. So I, you know, I write five or six sentences. I try to be short and to the point and, you know, courteous, but I say what I said previously, either I like what you do, or I think we could collaborate well together or, you know, something to that effect. And I give them The thing that I need from them, you know, is it, could you point me to a good book on this subject or would you be willing to design a shirt for us or whatever the thing is? That's my job. That's the thing that helps us make money more than anything else. Getting people to know who we are. So outreach. Um, Yeah. I mean, yeah. Outreach, self-marketing, you know, whatever you want to call it. Being shameless is, is saying too much. You should, you should sometimes not say things, but you have to get over – I think for people like me, you have to get over the idea that if I just do good work, people will find me. That's not really how it works. You have to make, you have <laughs> yeah,
2: to make friends. Yeah, we learned the hard way. Yeah, Definitely the, not the case. The internet doesn't care about you.
1: Right. You have to make friends is one way to put it. Um, the other thing is just you need to know who you are. It's sort of maybe the other side of that coin or it sort of is, is even more foundational than getting your name out there. But the things that work for us – are not necessarily gonna work for you. The things that worked for 37 signals aren't necessarily going to work for you. Understanding your strengths and weaknesses, and when I say you, I mean also, you know, your partners, your company, whatever it is that you're, you know, whatever group that you have together is is critical to making something that has personality. And without personality, you're just another person if you get over this, you know, shameless bar, just another person yelling. And you really need to have at least something doesn't have to be unique. I don't know if that's you know, necessarily possible, but it has to have certain aspects of it that are, are unique to you.
0: That's great advice. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that, Paul. You're nodding your head along. Cool. Well, Nathan, um, yeah, thank you for for taking the time to talk with us. Um, yeah, this this is really insightful and you know really exciting for us because I've you know like I said for years over the last several years have was aware of and followed um, sort of your journey. And again, to your point, it's because you talked about it. It's <clears> because you blogged about it. It's because you made friends with people, you know, who were talking about it and got it to cross into, you know, whatever channels I was in. So yeah. clearly, you know, if I heard about it and then reached out to you, it's working, it works.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, someone who runs a podcast doesn't necessarily, you know, strike me as someone who's shy about, getting their name out there or is unwilling to you know reach out to people so that's uh you know it's a credit to you guys and that's honestly how people find out about you so well
0: well, thank you yeah no that, that means a lot